Welcome to Threads of Enlightenment, your journey into personal growth. The splendor of any decision is after you've made it, all that remains to be seen are its consequences. My name is Ken Primus. I am your host. Here at Threads of Enlightenment, we talk about the principles of self-development and personal growth. By having conversation with people, who have walked through their journey of personal growth. We believe that everyone at some point in their life will have to deal with one or more of these principles to have the privilege of focusing on their self-development as humans. These principles, when applied, can help you to become the best self possible. Welcome to another episode of Threads of Enlightenment. As usual, once our guest comes, we turn it over to them for them to tell us everything that they have created today so that you and I can become better human spirits from their enlightenment, their policies and procedures that govern their life, their wisdom, all of those things we call it. Uh, but we are here to embark and in, uh, enjoy our journey. And I want to welcome uh, Charlene to Threads of Enlightenment. Welcome and thank you for coming by. Thank you so much for having me. I'm honored to be here. Oh, it's our pleasure to have you. We want you to tell us all the things. I know you have a lot of services that you provide by which you um, uh, you serve people uh, tell them about those uh, services that you have. Yeah, I am a licensed um, women's empowerment coach. I am a Reiki practitioner. I am an author. I am a beautiful mother of three kids. And um, I am just a student of life learning along with everybody else as they go. That's a beautiful place to be, I think. Um, to be And to recognize that we are all students of life. Um I always say that some people don't um, don't have that awareness, and it is mm. a sad thing to um, to watch and see how they behave. But um, I do not uh, pick on them because guess what? I was one of those. So yeah. <laughs> you know. So it is my hope that uh, they are given the opportunity to find out who they are and uh, uh, learn of the beauty that is uh, residing within them. Charlene, let's go back. Uh, my belief is my uh, um, listeners know that I believe we are creators and the minute we hit this planet, we are in, uh, we call it home, but I call it a lab. So we are in this lab with a bunch of scientists that don't know anything about uh, uh, parenting. And so they're mixing up a couple of things from one belief system and another, and they're trying to create and uh, uh, put their uh, whatever insights they have in their life uh, into you to produce this beautiful person. Talk to us about that home life or what it was like. Right. When you put it that way, my first thought was, boy, my life was a failed experiment in the beginning. (laughs) Um, But really, it was just a a constant mixing of, of things until I took over the experiment and started mixing the proper ingredients, I guess. So my life really started when I was three and a half. That's when my first Mm -hmm. kind of memories kick in. Um, I was born into a pretty dysfunctional home. Um, My dad was a very severe alcoholic and he tended to be violent when he drank. And his violence was always directed at my 
brothers who were my half brothers, so they weren't biologically his. So of mm. course they were always the targets of his wrath when he was drunk. And um, my mom had to make a really difficult decision of, do I stay and risk losing one of my sons? Do I pack the kids up and go? And she made the decision to go, but then my dad said she couldn't take my sister and I, which were both biologically his. So, of course, she was faced with another dilemma, and um, Hmm. she decided to take my two brothers and leave, um, which Hmm. probably saved their lives. And uh, my dad, unfortunately, being such an alcoholic, was not fit to look after two kids. So after just a couple of weeks, he contacted my uh, grandparents, my mom's parents, and asked if they would take us in. My grandmother did not skip a beat. She said, absolutely. And um, she was an amazing woman, really strong, uh, independent. Mm-hmm. And she taught that to my sister and I, taught us to be, you know, get a good education, get a career, look after ourselves, not depend on anybody. And I probably learned that lesson just a little bit too well. But um <laughs> And as wonderful as she was, my grandfather was a pedophile. So Mm. shortly after moving in, um, my sister and I started experiencing sexual abuse at his hands. And this went on for nine years. And it was only when my sister was 16, I was 12, um, that she went to school one day and basically had a nervous breakdown because she was terrified of being coming pregnant at the hands of my grandfather. And as much as she wanted to leave the household, she knew that if she left, that his full abuse would turn on to me. And she wanted to protect me, so she didn't leave. So she did the next best thing. The only thing her body could do was possibly shut down and break down. So everything came out. Uh, My grandfather was arrested. Uh, My grandparents divorced. And the only family that I really knew and had an awareness of at that point just kind of shattered apart. And I dealt with a lot of shame and a lot of trauma. Um, We grew up in a small town. Everybody knew kind of what had happened. And, uh, you know, I was facing the trauma of, you know, being a child who didn't live with her parents, you know, who felt like her parents Mm -hmm. didn't want her to now being the child who was the child abuse victim And, um, I remember dealing with the social services and we're talking the like early eighties, mid eighties. So not a lot of follow-up care back in those days. And of course my grandmother being that just put your head down and go type of person didn't push counseling or therapy or anything like that. And I remember sitting in a social worker's office and just having her come around and pat me on the back and just say, just don't worry, everything's going to be okay. And Mm -hmm. I'm 12 and a half and I have never felt okay in my life. I don't even know what the definition of okay is. So for someone to tell me that, I don't know what that means. So I go into high school, which is a struggling time for most kids anyway. And I'm dealing with this trauma, this unresolved trauma and the stigma and not being able to get away from the shame. And I started quickly dealing with mental health struggles. I started to become extremely suicidal. I didn't have any worth and he didn't feel any value. I didn't feel like anybody really loved me. I mean, I knew my grandmother loved me, but as far as anybody else, I I just felt so lost and alone. And I very quickly started cutting as a way of having an outlet for all of the built up emotion that I was feeling. Mm -hmm. And then luckily I learned to write. I started channeling my, my pain and my emotion into writing 
and I always said it was either a choice of, you know, pouring blood out or pouring ink out onto paper. And mm-hmm. uh, of course, the ink out on the paper was healthier, but it also drew more attention to myself because yeah. most of my writing was pretty dark and depressing and it talked about mm-hmm. suicide. So my teacher sends me to the guidance counselor who sends me to the school psychologist who spends an afternoon um, doing assessments, questionnaires, talking. And after four hours, she diagnosed me as being manic depressive bipolar. Mm. All of this while I have no parent or guardian in the room. It's just a conversation she's having with me. And at 15 yeah. and a half, again, I have no idea what that means. What's going on here? Yeah, yeah we're, we're not in the time where I could just pick up my cell phone and Google what does bipolar mm. mean. You know, it's like yeah. you got to go to the library and pull that book off the <laughs> shelf, which I was not doing. Um and of course, again, she just kind of looked across the te- the desk at me and said, but I want you to know you're going to be okay. If you need to talk, hmm. book an appointment, come in and talk with us. And I was starting, you know, I'm, I'm angry because I'm like, why do all these adults keep telling me I'm going to be okay when I don't feel yeah. okay? And the last thing I really wanted to do was talk about it. I just wanted to to pretend that it didn't exist. Mm-hmm. And so I started to just slip into that pattern of, you know, not, I wasn't talking to anybody about anything. I was heavily drinking, you know, every weekend or any chance I could, I was getting drunk because number one, it allowed me just to fit in and be like everybody else. Mm-hmm. And it allowed me to not have to feel any of the emotions that I was struggling with. And so that was a developed coping mechanism that I got in high school. And I finished high school because all I'm thinking is, I just want to get through school and move away. I want to go where no one knows me. I can just be a face in the crowd. And that's what I did. I graduated high school Mm -hmm. and I moved away with my high school sweetheart. And we decided we were going to create this amazing life. But the problem is I didn't have any skills to create that life that I so desperately wanted. And um, we decided early on to start having kids. I had my first daughter. I got pregnant at 20, had my daughter at 21. Uh, I had my second daughter at 25 and I had my son at 28. And I think I felt with every child that the hole was going to be fixed inside of me, that they would, you know, fill that gap that I so desperately wanted. I just wanted someone to love me unconditionally, to love me for me. And I felt I would get that from kids. But the problem was I didn't have the skills to be a mom because Mm. I was, I couldn't take care of myself early at the time, let alone three kids. So as I'm struggling being a mom, I'm drinking heavily still, and I can feel the depression just slowly creeping in. It's like sitting outside and watching the night settle in on you. And it's like, as much as you want to fight it, you can't keep it away. And at 28, I remember sitting down with my husband and saying, I need to leave the house because I'm fantasizing about killing myself. And I'm terrified that the kids are going to come home from school and find me hanging here because that's what I was planning to do. And at this point, my marriage had pretty much disintegrated anyway. So my husband was like, okay, yeah, if that's what you need to do. And Mm -hmm. again, it kind of felt like even he didn't want to fight for me. You know, he Mm -hmm. was fine just letting me walk away. And so I moved out and thought that I would take the opportunity to get myself together But of course, I moved out and now I'm feeling guilt and shame over leaving my children. I feel like I've just repeated that generational pattern that my parents had done to me. And the depression, of course, just got worse. And because the drinking's getting worse, Mm -hmm. 
-hmm. And about a month after I had separated from my husband, I met someone else and jumped right into a relationship because again, I'm just searching for someone to validate me, to to love me, to want to be with me. And when they say like attracts like, they are so correct because (laughs) the person I got into the relationship was extremely dysfunctional, just like I was at the time. Um, he was a heavy drinker. I wasn't aware at the time, but he was um, a drug addict um, mm-hmm. and he had suffered and experienced trauma in his youth, which led him to be violent when he drank. Wow. So very quickly into the relationship, I started experiencing domestic abuse. And wow. for me, it fit the narrative that I thought that's what I deserved. I had so mm. much guilt for leaving my kids that I felt almost like, okay, this is karma. This is exactly what I deserve because, you know, I'm a bad mom. I'm a bad person. I'm not worthy of anything. So it fit with what I thought. Mm. And about two years into the relationship of this abuse, and it's kind of getting progressively worse. I'm sitting on my living room floor after uh, an episode And he had left and I'm just sitting there going, I can't live like this anymore. Like this is not a life. And Mm -hmm. I got up and I went to my medicine cabinet and I took out all of the sleeping pills and pain pills that were in there because he had a back injury. So there's lots of medication in there. And um, I took all of the pills and then Mm -hmm. I sat down on my couch to write my goodbye letter to my kids. Mm -hmm. And it was the hardest thing I've ever gone through um, Mm -hmm. trying to write out and justify to my kids why I've taken my life, trying to to say the right things that can explain to them why I've just taken my life. And as I'm sitting there, I realize that I'm just abandoning them in the most final way that I possibly can. And I can't do that because I'm concerned about, you know, where, who are they going to go live with? Because at this point, their dad's not making the best life choices either. Mm-hmm. And um, I just went, no, I can't go. So I called a cab. I went to the hospital. I was in the emergency room at the admissions desk explaining that I felt like I was overdosing and I collapsed. And when I woke up, I had tubes down my throat and my partner was sitting in the chair beside the bed crying, saying how sorry he was and things would change and, you know, he'd be different. And of course, words are very easy to yeah. say. And um, I get discharged from the hospital and my mom calls me and she says, I think it's time to make a change. I think you need to move across the country and mm-hmm. um, we'll help you get on your feet and get things settled. This made sense to me because it kind of fit my pattern of, well, if things are bad, just run, you know, run. because it'll mm-hmm. be better wherever else you go. <laughs> um, but wherever you go, there you are. If you don't do the work, yeah. by the way, it's just going to tag along with you. Yeah. But I did it. I packed my kids. I went across the country and um, six months later, my partner followed me out. He had decided that he loved me. He missed me. He wanted to be with me. He would be the type of man that I needed. And mm-hmm. um, he moved out and right away the abuse continued. And this wow. went for another decade of complete wow. dysfunction and abuse and just trying to to feel like I'm normal. And my body was sending me signs. I developed fibromyalgia and was living in a constant state of pain and both emotional and physical Mm -hmm. and um it was 2015 2014 when um he came home one evening and said uh uh so i'm moving out i'm like what and he's like yeah i'm moving in with someone else 
Mm. And I was just horrified. I felt completely abandoned again. Mm -hmm. And um, he packed his stuff and he moved in with another woman. And I thought, okay, Charlene, this is your opportunity to, to get your life together. Let's, you know, let's do this, even though I didn't have any clue on how to do that or what that was going to look like. But I started on a path of trying to get myself together. And about two and a half months after he had passed away, or after he had moved out, there's a little hint to the yeah. story. Um, <laughs> a police officer walks into the place where I work and mm -hmm. asks to talk to me outside. And he said he had just come on shift. He knew me because he had been involved in one of our domestic disputes. Mm -hmm. And he informed me that my ex-partner had shot and killed himself. Wow. And I was devastated. I was absolutely crushed. I felt any now any hope of him coming back and proving that, you know, he loved me and that I was worth being with was now gone. And I had to go tell my children that their stepdad of 13 and a half years had taken his own life. Mm -hmm. And I didn't know how I was going to go on. And about two weeks after he had taken his life, I was sitting with a good friend and I was telling her how angry I was. And she was like, of course, anger is one of the stages of grief. And I said, no, you don't understand. I'm not angry that he took his life. I'm angry that he did it first. Mm. And she just kind of, you know, it's a shocking statement to make for, yeah, you know, yeah. for some people. And I'm just thinking to myself, you know, like when you're left behind and you have to pick up the pieces and you yeah. see all the trauma and all the pain and all the heartache that that choice causes the people that love you, how do you do that? Like, mm -hmm. and I so desperately wanted to do it so I was feeling this completely polar opposite pull of wanting to but not wanting to hurt anybody so I think that okay I'm just going to try to get my stuff together and I struggled for a bit I had an episode where I was on the edge of I had gun cabinet key in one hand and pills in the other hand and and instead of that, I chose to cut myself. And as I'm sitting in a pool of blood on my bathroom floor, I realized, okay, I need to get some help. We can't do this mm -hmm. on our own. And if we don't change something, yeah. we're going to end up going over the edge and not being able to come back. So I started seeing a psychiatrist. Mm -hmm. And I was three appointments in when I said to her, and I, and I will say, I'm not the most patient person in the world. Mm -hmm. I am the again, like my grandmother, put your head down, do the work and move on. So I, you know, mm -hmm. I was getting frustrated with the, I don't want to talk about my past because I know why I am the way I am. I just mm -hmm. need to, you to tell me how to fix it. Give me mm -hmm. step one, two, three, four, five. Let me do that <laughs> so that I can be well. And we weren't getting to that point. So I was getting extremely frustrated. And I remember asking her, well, what did you do to deal with your mental health struggles? And mm -hmm. I watched her eyes glaze over and she says, well, Charlene, I've never had to deal with mental health struggles myself. And I'm thinking, then how can you possibly relate? Like, how yeah. how can you tell me that you understand? Because you can't. Because unless you've yeah. been here, you can't understand what I'm feeling. Yeah. And it was like I left that appointment and, you know, I'd finished the appointment telling her that I was buying a house because I had received uh, life insurance money for my partner passing or my ex-partner passing. And I had decided to buy a house. And she was so excited because people that are going to commit suicide do not buy houses. They do not make plans <laughs> for the future. But what I was actually doing was I was setting up what I felt was going to be a legacy for my kids. Yeah. I felt that all I would have to leave my kids is finances. And so that's what I was doing. So I had 
after I left that appointment, I set a date um, to take my life. And it was just mm. over a month from the date of that appointment. And what it was, was I was moving into the house on a September 26th. And then I was giving myself a month to get in, get everything settled for my son, because he was the only one left at home. And then I was taking my life. So I was about two weeks uh, before the date I had set. And a friend mm-hmm. of mine that I work with came up to me and said, hey, there's this women's workshop. Would you like to come with me? And I was like, absolutely not right it was the last thing on my radar I was not into any kind of self-improvement at that point and Mm -hmm. um she says please I really want to go but I don't want to go alone Mm -hmm. and I'm like that's my kryptonite because I had always put everyone else's needs before my own and I all you know I wanted to look after everybody else and I'm thinking to myself oh geez okay just go with her because she really needs to go to this because I'm looking at her (laughs) thinking how she needs to go and I thought it's perfect because we can go there it's two days prior to the the date that I had set so we Mm -hmm. can just go and pretend that we're fine and no one's going to know the difference. So I showed up that Saturday morning and I had my hunting rifle in the back seat of my vehicle because I was going the following Monday morning to the same location that my ex-partner had gone to and I was going to shoot myself just like he did. And I walked into the room of the women's workshop and I immediately felt sick to my stomach because I felt here's another place I don't belong. Um, I am watching all these women who look like they have got it all together. They're chatting. They're excited. I can hear them making plans and setting goals. And I feel like I'm just a big fraud. I'm just Mm -hmm. a person who doesn't belong here. And why am I here? So I go take my seat and I just kind of put my head down and almost try to sink into my seat. And the first half of the the morning goes by and and it's nothing I can relate to. It's people talking about money and health and fitness, and that's all Mm -hmm. irrelevant to me. And then the afternoon session comes on and a woman takes the stage and she has alopecia, so she is bald. Mm -hmm. And she talked about her struggles as a child, as a teenager, and as a young woman with self-love and self-worth. Because she'd been bullied, she attached her her value to, of course, her hair, and Mm -hmm. she'd struggled. She didn't love herself. But the moment everything changed for her was when she learned to love herself, Mm -hmm. you know, not depending on society or anybody else to to prove her value. And as I'm sitting in my seat, I can kind of hear a voice in my head that says, what about you? Mm. And I'm thinking to myself, yeah, how different could my life have been had I just learned to love myself? Mm. What if I would have stopped needing everybody to validate me and to say that I was worth being here? What if I was enough for me? Yeah. And I just kind of brushed that thought off and next speaker comes on stage and it's a woman who starts talking about living with mental illness for two decades. She had suffered mm. from severe depression and how her life changed when instead of fighting the darkness, Mm -hmm. she learned to accept it. She Mm -hmm. learned to pull it into herself because when she pulled it in, she could show the light to it as well. Mm -hmm. And when she stopped fighting, how much her life changed for the better. Mm -hmm. And again, as I'm sitting there, I can hear this little voice that says, what about (laughs) you? And I'm thinking, yeah, how different could our life have been had we learned to live with our mental illness Mm -hmm. and recognize that it's a part of us. It's not going away. We need to stop fighting it and just embrace it as being part of us and love that part as well. And again, I just brush it off because I'm not even paying attention to the messages that are coming through. (laughs) And then the last speaker of the day comes on 
and it's a gentleman and he starts talking about uh, living with mental illness, being suicidal, losing his marriage, uh, dealing with alcoholism and addiction to pain medication and how he had spent a year of his life trying to find the perfect mix of alcohol and pain meds so that he could commit suicide by making it look like an accidental overdose because he sold Hmm. life insurance. He knew how he had to make it look. And it was one evening that he got visitation with his kids overnight, which never happened, that he found that perfect mix Mm -hmm. of alcohol and pain meds. And as his children were sleeping in the next room, he was laying there slowly overdosing. And as he was laying there, he heard a voice that said, no, not like this, not today, there's more. And he managed to get to his phone. He called 911. He was able to get to the hospital. Uh, His life was saved. He got clean and sober. He got into therapy and counseling. And now he was sharing his story and his struggles in hopes of helping someone else. Hmm. Now he finishes his story and I'm sitting in my seat going, what is going on right now? (laughs) I'm at an event that I did not want to come to. Yeah. And I have just heard three speakers. And I'm two days away from taking my life. I've just heard three mm. speakers talk about the three areas of my life yeah. that I'm struggling the most with. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm almost looking for the camera and someone to pop <laughs> out and go surprise, right? Because I'm like, this is what is happening right now. Mm. And I got really quiet and I realized that. I was exactly where I was supposed to be in that moment. And Mm -hmm. I was hearing the messages that I was supposed to hear and that I was finally ready to hear. Mm -hmm. And it was like a light switch went off and I went, okay, no, there's more to life. It doesn't have to be the struggle that it has been. I can love myself. If that person can do it, I can do it. I can learn to live with my mental health struggles. I can, you know, maybe everything I have been through Mm -hmm. has been the creation of the message that I can share to -hmm. give someone else hope, to save someone Mm -hmm. else from struggling for 40 years like I have. And I went to the the woman who hosted the event, and I said, I would really like to sit down and talk to you because I want you to to know what this this event meant to me because, you know, it was in that moment that I decided, no, I'm going to live. Mm-hmm. like, And I'm not just going to live. I'm going to thrive because mm-hmm. I know it's possible. And I sat down with her and I said, I would love to come back next year and share my story at your event. And she was like, yes, absolutely. I think you should. And I was thinking, wow, for the first time, we are making plans for the future. Like, this is real <laughs> now. And so I went back the next year and I, I shared my story with her and everybody at the event. And I remember saying before I got off the stage that my purpose now is to, to share my stories and my struggles in hopes of giving hope to someone else and to save just one life. Because if I can save just one life, everything I've gone through, all the struggles, all the pain, all the heartache, everything has been worth it. And I got off the stage and I was getting ready to walk out of the room And I had a woman that was in the audience approach me and she said, you know how you wanted to save a life today? Mm -hmm. I just want you to know you did. And she turned and walked away. Mm. And I was sitting there and I still get goosebumps every time I tell that story. It's crazy. Um, I was, you know, I'm standing there and I'm kind of in shock and I'm thinking, I hear that little voice that I've now come to, to know and love so much. And it says, now let's go find one more. Yeah. So for me, every day is that search for one more. It's just to find that one more person who needs to know they're not alone. 
that it's okay, that they're going to be okay, that there's hope. And that's why I come on and I talk and I share my stories on platforms like this. I am, I'm amazed. I'm, I'm just letting you talk. I didn't want to interrupt because uh, this is what Threads of Enlightenment is about, is hearing stories like this and seeing um, that uh, my hope is that people that are listening to know that they're not alone. There's people out there that have gone through tremendous amount of challenges, and some of them uh, you're going through, uh, those that are listening. There's someone that has gone through, you're not alone. Uh, reach out to those people. I'm so glad that you're here, Charlie, because um, as I was listening to your story, um, it's so impactful of how how... Uh, how much you went through. Talk to me about this one thing, because I know the self-love piece. Let's focus on that in a little, because people need to understand. I, I have people that listen to me. I talk about this one journey, this one important, the most important journey on this planet is learning to love yourself. Because if you learn to love yourself, um, a lot of the emotional mess that is out there, you're not going to partake of it, because you're not uh, being used by someone. Talk to them, um, Charlene, because you've, I mean, just listening to your story, there's so much coming at it. How did you uh, embark on the piece of learning to love yourself? Because, uh, uh, you know, this is a major piece. How did you do it? Well, I say everything in life, every change that you're going to make starts with one thing, and that's a decision. Mm -hmm. And for me, it was a decision to start loving myself and to figure out what that looked like for me, because it's going to look completely different for everybody. Yeah. And for me, it was recognizing that yes, a lot of stuff had happened to me, but it's not what happened to me that defined my value and my worth as an individual. I, mm -hmm. I made that definition. Like I defined what I was worth, what I, my value was. And for me, it was starting to take the small steps and one of the biggest questions that I ask, and, and I always say this to the women I work with, is what would someone who loves themselves do? And that's yeah. a question that I ask myself all the time because it helps with setting boundaries, number one, mm -hmm. with other people yeah. and setting boundaries within yourself. Yep. You know, like asking yourself, what would someone who loves themselves do in this decision? You know, would someone who loves themselves drink themselves to oblivion every night? Well, of course yeah. not. You know, would someone who loves themselves reach out to get, you know, help? Would they, would they start making an effort to take care of their mind, their body and their soul? And I mean, and that's really what it starts with. Mm -hmm. I, I needed to start looking at the things that I could be grateful for in my life because gratitude, having a gratitude practice is so huge. Yeah, because I started to realize that I could love my life. It, you know, life is never going to be perfect. We're never going to be perfect. Yeah, but you know, nature is made of of flaws, but it's so beautiful. Yeah, and if we recognize that beauty in ourselves, and you know, like when you look at your children or you look at your friends, like, I mean, we love we we love unconditionally to to everyone else, but recognizing that. You know, we need to have that same unconditional love for ourselves. And again, just by starting to, number one, make a decision that you're going to work at it because it, it is for me, it was a, it wasn't a, okay, I love myself. Everything's going to be great. 
It's a, okay, I need to start working on this. What can I do? Well, I can start um, making sure that I'm reading stuff that is, you know, going to teach me, give me the skills, the tools. It's starting to eliminate the behaviors that I know someone that that wasn't healthy for me. But, you know, it, it really starts with make that decision that you can love yourself because you were so, everyone that's listening is... Everyone is worthy of love, but the most important love you're ever going to get is your self-love. Yourself. It is the most important journey that anyone can go. And while you were telling your story, I was waiting for what I call, and people that listen to me, uh, they hear me say this over and over and over again. I was waiting to hear your statement of faith, I call it. It is something that you believe in that starts you off on your journey. And uh, when you make it, you actually own it at that point in time. It is yours because you it came from you and out of you. And once you say it, you release it, you ha- uh, need to do the corresponding actions to make that thing come to pass. And it is never a flowery thing. It's, it's a hard thing because uh, once you have located what that truth is to you, you said, I want to live. I want to love myself. I want, And then you began to take the steps in. And I was listening to find out what was it. And so, um, because I want people to understand, I don't care what situation you're in, you got to find it. And the reason why you're, um, you're floating all over is because you haven't found it yet. Uh, because you're, you're, you're numbing yourself, you're doing all the other things because you haven't found that thing yet and once you find it then you begin to breathe because it's the thing that encourages you it's that phrase that empowers you it's that phrase of ownership it is beginning of your journey and i love what you you talk about you know once you decide it you just move through it and don't allow anything to deter you from getting to that space and it's a beautiful thing as you said uh, to love yourself, because once you love yourself, you could love other people deeper um, as you love yourself, because you've learned to accept all your garbage, and there's nobody uh, more uh, magnified in anyone's life in your mind, except for you. you. You know all your sins and your shortcomings, and if you can love that, man, you can love anything that presents itself before you, so you've got to learn to love yourself. So here you are, question that you ask your therapist you are now able to do and this is what i i tell people um uh they needed someone like you and so because uh some of us are uh, i hate to say it this way some of us are are entrusted to go through our journey because we can now turn around and become servants to those people that are needed to have someone like you to go through that because the power and the um, authority by which you would speak in that arena cannot come from someone that has never been through it. They cannot. They cannot. They don't have the juice when they talk about it. But when you talk about it, Charlene, there is this energy that will come out of you and jump into someone that will cause them to say, you know, that one life that you were thinking of saving, you just did and walk away. 
because mm-hmm. there was power in what you were saying and the words that you released and it was able to jump into her and cause her to come awake, come alive, just like the first initial meeting did with the three guests. You have to have three girls. You, 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 <laughs> they, <laughs> <laughs> they, they had to split it up for you. Three and just step. Yeah. That, that, wall was, uh, that wall was pretty thick that they were trying to get through. So I know it's, it took three big knocks. And I mean, because you were a couple of days away from, mm-hmm. from your event, um, that you yeah, were planning. A day and a half when I heard them speak. That's all I had left for life was a day and a half. So. Man, that's powerful stuff. And so here you are, you're at a place now where you're able to become, I, I think, the gift that we get from walking through our journey is that we become servants. It is an honor, it's a place of gratitude that we uh, love to be in and we love to share. I want you to, um, because I know uh, uh, you had mentioned some of it, but I want you to tell the people how to get in. I'm going to provide this, but I want you to tell them how to reach you, how to get to you, because um, this is necessary, uh, your service. Mm-hmm. Um, you can find me. I'm on all the social media platforms, of course. So Facebook at Charlene Madden Speaker and Author. Um, I have a website, charlenemaddenspeaker.com. Um, I have a website, Ascension Wellness Studio. So that's where I do my my Reiki and my light work and my coaching programs, you can catch me on there. And um, yeah, I always, 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 always like to talk when I'm on podcasts. I like to leave a message um, before I go. And that's... Oh, we're not done yet, girl. No, I know. I I won't get it out. I want to get it out. Get it out. If you're feeling feeling lost and alone and you're feeling like you're in a dark space and you have no one to talk to because that's how I felt I was there. Please find me on social media. Message me on Facebook. I tell people yeah. I'm available 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Please reach out to me and I will come and sit in the dark and I always laugh because it's going to be virtually, but I will come and sit in the dark with you until you're ready to rise up mm-hmm. into the light. I just don't want anyone to ever feel lost and alone like I do. That is my purpose is to make sure that you're not walking this journey alone. So That is awesome. I want to talk to you about now you're coming through much. Uh, we've uh, talked about it, uh, mental peace, the alcoholism, the not loving the self, the suicidal, all of these things. Uh, as you began to learn to love yourself, how did you now decide, Charlene, to say, you know what, I want to write a book. I know you started writing when you were younger. You were putting uh, pen to paper when you were younger. What made you decide to say, let me put a book together? Well, it was at that first workshop that I went to. Um, the MC of the event mm-hmm. talked about fear and how we let fear control so much of our lives. And I realized yeah. that I had been living in a perpetual state of fear and mm-hmm. I needed to work on that. And he said, take six things in your life that either intimidate you or you're afraid of and number them one to six. And then I want you to take the dice and I want you to roll the dice. And whatever number comes up, that's the fear mm-hmm. I want you to do. So I wrote six things down that scared me or intimidated me. And I started rolling the dice. I roll the dice on fear. Um, And they were things like I wanted to publish my book of poetry that I had written because to me, this Mm -hmm. was who I was as a person. And I did that 
that was my decision was, okay, I'm going to publish this. I'm going to put it out there for the entire world to see the good, the bad, and the ugly, because I don't care what Mm -hmm. the judgment is anymore. Um, I had a, um, a fear, of course, of rejection, of not being enough, not being loved. And so one of my things was to ask someone out on a date. And um, mm-hmm. I didn't care if they said yes or no. I, I actually was probably hoping for a no because I wanted to prove to myself <laughs> that the rejection was not going to kill me. Um, yeah. Person did not say no. They said yes when we had our first date mm-hmm. in uh, December of 2017 and we got married the following August of 2018. So it wow. was one of those experiences where, you know, I always say that when I walked out after that first workshop, I swear I heard the universe take a collective sigh as if saying, mm-hmm. holy, okay, finally, we've been waiting for <laughs> you. Like, all right, let's go. Because everything started falling into place in my life when I made that decision that I chose life. And it's, yeah. it'll be the same for you. You make that decision and you, you commit, you go all in, make that decision, and things will start falling into place. Yeah, I believe, as I mentioned in the onset of um, before we got on, that we are creators. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that a creator does, um, I mentioned to it, and I've talked about it about, uh, on this podcast, a creator doesn't shine when it's light. Uh, we don't know that we're capable of creating when there's everything is going good and all that stuff. A creator only shows up when it's darkness. And my background is um, uh, Christianity in the sense that I was a pastor. And uh, I remember studying the Bible and looking in Genesis. talks about uh, uh, the earth was dark, darkness and void. It was a mess. And then God goes up and goes, says, he's, he's looking at this thing and goes, well, you know what I need? I need light. And he said, let there be light. And so and that's why I always search and listen for people's statement of faith it is very precise it is very um, clear it has to be you cannot speak in general terms because um, as you say the universe everything is waiting i believe and i tell people it's that energy that force that we came out of is waiting uh, for you and i to speak and as you speak those words and you believe those words then it goes out and it calls and pulls all the energy, the situations, it pulls the people. People are situations. I keep telling people, people are situations. And so it pulls and people are energy. So your energy sent out with your belief, you believe this regardless. And it'll go and pull those people and bring it into your space so that it can be fulfilled. What and I tell people all the time: find your statement of faith. And I say that because faith for me means that you believe it regardless. And you said, "I am going to live. I am going to." And and you take the steps to to do what's necessary. And I love this conversation. Um, I want to thank you, Charlene, for coming by. This was so much. And I want you guys to get in touch with her, please, because we haven't touched a lot uh, um, how she dealt with fear, how she dealt with all these other things. I want you guys to call her, talk to her, um, DM her, as my granddaughter says, I need to learn about the DM and all this kind of stuff. So um, get in touch with her. And I know email stuff. So email, whatever you have to do, you need to get in touch with her, get into her space so that she can now have this conversation with you that she had 
with that uh, uh, therapist when she asked her, how did you handle your mental illness? And she couldn't answer. But Charlene can. She can handle and talk to you about alcoholism. She could talk to you about not loving yourself. She can talk to you about facing your fears, rolling the dice. I love it. You can. She can talk to you with everything that she discussed. Get in touch with her and learn and change your life. Charlene, thank you so much for coming by. Thank you for having me. Everyone who's listening to this podcast, we hope to continually help you to learn how to embrace moments of darkness because it is in the darkness that we learn how to develop and use our abilities to truly see those parts of ourselves often invisible to us in the light. It becomes your responsibility to navigate through all of your trials to find out who you truly are and begin your journey to loving yourself, which is possibly one of the most difficult things you will ever do in your life. To love yourself and to find the real you, but always remember to enjoy the journey. Thank you for coming by. Please subscribe. And if you can support us financially, we deeply appreciate it. Until next time, invite your family, friends, neighbors, anyone that you can. You can hear us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Apple Music, iHeartRadio, CastBox, Overcast, and many more.